Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Hurt Mentality. Joining me today is Vice President of the United States and Champion of Equality for Women, Mike Pence. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Welcome to the White House. Thanks for the invitation. Now, let's cover off your credentials. Have you ever taken a course on human reproduction? Never in my life. Very well. How do you perceive women generally? They need to step up as a partner. Have you ever met a woman? I can't remember meeting people in that category. I see them on television and... And And therefore you perceive them as being similar to... Neo-Nazis and the KKK. Right. So let's discuss your new healthcare strategy. Does anyone in your administration know what a vagina looks like? I, I think it's yet to be seen. And where are you expecting to find one? At the tip of the spear. What threat does the female genital region pose to your people? That region is home to 20 different terrorist organizations that are recognized by our national government. That sounds claustrophobic. The Pentagon in, in June made a request for some nearly 4,000 troops uh, to uh, deploy in the region. That strikes me as being along the lines of sexual assault. We need to come together around our soldiers. We need to come together around our most vulnerable. Wow. Do you have the stamina for a long-term invasion? Uh, the truth is that the last administration engaged in a short-term surge. But you'll do it better than the last guy, yeah? Well, the answer to that, I think, will be based on the conditions on the ground. The ovaries are especially rough terrain. Well, look, we're there to help. What's the end game here? Be a better and more strategic partner. Once you've declared victory on Fallopian Pass. And we need to come together and then announce a timetable for withdrawal. Mike Pence, thanks for joining us on The Herd Mentality. Thank you. This is a whole new regional strategy for South so we have a bit of an informal event on a Friday night, a welcome event at the Occidental Hotel at the corner of... Oh, fuck. <laughs> see what it is. Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic non-weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. This is a listener-supported show and you can help boost quality and quantity at HerdMentalityPodcast.com and then click on support. Your contribution makes all the difference for the show and 10% of it goes to women in developing countries. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. And it's time to meet our guests. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Herd Mentality. Joining me today, I've got Jonathan Tweet. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be back. It's great to have you, Nate. This is the second time you've been on the show, so technically, well, we've retweeted. Yeah. No, that was terrible. That was, oh my God, I'm going to have to cut that out of the show. That was terrible. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, people have been making fun of my name ever since I was little, so it was nice to hear a new one. It could be worse. Uh, You (laughs) you could have a surname (laughs) like Reeks. Uh, So, moving right along. (laughs) So, there's a a couple of things that we need to sort of cover off and bring people up to speed on. And uh, uh, then we've got a couple of little side projects that you've got going on. So we'll kick off with the debate that you recently had with Richard Carrier. Tell us when, where, how and why. Sure. So Dr. Carrier was coming through the area and contacted the Seattle Atheists. I live in Seattle. The Seattle Atheist organizers know that I'm a big proponent of the historical Jesus. And so we set up a debate 
I sat there with Carrier for an hour and a half. We talked about historical Jesus. We had a moderator. And this is one of the things we call an honest debate. So with the Seattle Atheists, uh, a friend and I are doing a series of debates where we try to get past the regular, the regular problems that debates have where people talk past each other. And we try to set up a moderated format. Uh, hang hang to, on, let me, let me cut you yep. off there. Go ahead. No, no, sorry, I was kidding. <laughs> As the moderator, yeah, well, <laughs> moderating is difficult. So we didn't hit on all cylinders, but I think it was, in a lot of ways, a more interesting debate than you often get. So, for example, Carrier and I talked about what we agree on, you know, what in the scope of things and in the scope of uh, Jesus scholarship, while we're going to spend a lot of time disagreeing, what are the points that we have in common? And you can see the video now. It's live. Uh, it's up on YouTube. And uh, yeah, go and have a go and check it out, people, because you can just type in Richard Carrier, Jonathan Tweet uh, into the YouTubes and, and have a look. And I really did like the format. Kicking off where people agree is always a good start. Thank you. And uh, secondly, there was a, a bit of a twist in uh, towards the middle of the debate where you were given one minute to talk at length on a or answer a particular question, and then it was Richard's job to summarise as concisely and accurately as possible exactly right. what you just said. Yeah. So that was uh, that was good fun and still got it wrong. I mean <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Um but his position is what exactly? So he's what you call a mythicist. He thinks that uh, there was no historical Jesus. In particular, he says that uh, the original Jesus cult was based on an angel, the idea that there was an angel named Jesus who was killed or you know crucified in outer space is the term he likes to use and that the gospels when the gospels talk about Jesus living on earth that that was all just sort of an allegory and everyone understood it was just an allegory and then years later people came to take those ideas or those uh, stories seriously but for the first couple generations all christians understood that uh, jesus was a celestial angel and not uh, a human being on earth right and your position i'm no historian i'm just well read on the topic so i just i have read what the historians say the mainstream historians and it all sounds totally plausible and believable and backed up by evidence to me and so i say jesus was a hillbilly prophet a faith healer a superstitious guy from the hills uh you know from the rural precincts from galilee and that he was killed as a troublemaker because he was a troublemaker and that Christianity sort of developed when his sect or his cult became convinced that sure he had died but now he had been raised from the dead by God and in fact lifted up to God's right hand and declared to be uh, the son of God and now he was going to come back really soon so everybody had to sign up with Jesus before the end of the world came. Mm. And when I, I summarized that for the audience at the debate and verified from Richard that, uh, that that is pretty much the historical mainstream account of, of who Jesus was and how Christianity got started. Okay, but is your information a hundred years out of date? Well, uh, Dr. Carrier says that my information is a hundred years out of date because it doesn't take into account his book. Uh, he, he's got a peer-reviewed book that says Jesus never existed. And the last peer-reviewed book about the existence of Jesus was almost 100 years ago. So one of the things that he says in the debate is, if a historian has not read his book and taken it to heart, then they're 100 years behind the times in terms of uh, Jesus scholarship. Mm. I don't agree. Okay, who were the peers who reviewed the book? Well, that is a 
good question, and I I don't know who they were or what their criteria were. Peter, and in fact, if you, John, if you ask Carrier himself, he Mark. will say that the last peer-reviewed book is not good. So <laughs> well, apparently, pe- having your book peer-reviewed doesn't really mean that much. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll let all of that disagreement there slide because <laughs> yeah. I'm not an expert in this field, but. It's uh, it's lively and it's very friendly. It seemed like a good fun debate. We tried really hard to establish a rapport. We exchanged notes ahead of time so he knew what I was going to say and I had some idea what he was going to say. We met for dinner ahead of time. It's really easy to get to get hostile when it's head-to-head stuff. And atheists often do get sort of worked up on the Jesus issue. So we tried to overcome that. I'll say he did get – I did let him get under my skin a little bit uh, when he talked about <laughs> – other scholars being 100 years behind the times mm. uh, and that sort of thing. Okay. I'll interject with a, an opinion here. The way he phrased it originally yeah. was, seemed – struck me as a little conceited. Okay. But when you when you actually analyse what it was he said, yeah. uh, the, the greater point being that the last peer-reviewed work was in 1927 or something and the most recent peer-reviewed work was his. So sticking to just that point, yeah, I'll probably award the point to him. I don't know if he says it's the last peer-reviewed work. It's the last peer-reviewed book. But there's been a lot of stuff written about Jesus. I mean, honestly, in the last hundred years, the things that people have been saying about Jesus is, how did the Gospel of Mark get written? Why in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus' uh, messianic identity such a secret? You know, what what do these parables mean? And uh, like, in what context was the parable of the Good Samaritan first told, like, what did that first mean to the people listening to it? And so, you know, by a hundred years ago, the existence of Jesus was pretty well established. Nobody bothered to write about why they thought he existed. Everybody was busy working on the next step, which is how the Gospels got written, how people's ideas developed, and and what have you. Mm. So there's been a ton of work and peer-reviewed work on the topic, just not maybe on the specific topic of whether Jesus existed. Mm. It's like that you can't find a good peer-reviewed article about evolution proving evolution existed in the, from the last hundred years because it's an established fact and what you get is peer-reviewed books that take that as a fact and move forward with mm. it. Well, we'll get to that because another topic that is dear to your heart is in fact evolution. evolution. That's right. So we'll come to that in a sec, but I'll finish this segment off by posing a question of sorts. The position you sure. took, yep, Jesus probably existed in a roundabout sense. Yeah. Carriers was not. Uh, yeah. the, the, the contrary. Now, my position would be this strikes me as an unfalsifiable hypothesis. So why even bother? Now, intellectually, it's an, a very interesting question. But what can we hope to gain? We can't prove right. it one well, way or the other. Right. So first of all, one of the points I tried to make in my debate is I'm not going to try to prove that Jesus existed because, you know, who knows for real. What I think I can demonstrate is the most plausible hypothesis out there is the mainstream hypothesis. And Carrier has a different hypothesis, but it is not as plausible. Maybe he's right. Sometimes the implausible hypothesis is right. But I think what we can say is the historical view just has a more plausible story that explains the evidence better. Yeah. And then you ask, like, what are we trying to gain from it? So here's one reason why I care a lot about this topic, uh, even though I'm an atheist and whatever, don't believe that Jesus was the son of God. One thing that Carrier and I agree on is most of the scholarship about Jesus being a myth is bad scholarship. 
And so he and I both agree that atheists are willing to accept bad scholarship if it says what they want to hear, which is that Jesus didn't exist. And why do we atheists accept bad scholarship? Confirmation about bias. This topic, right? I think it's, it's, it's emotions and it's tribalism and it's wanting to put religion down and what have you. Have mm-hmm. you heard the name of this podcast? Herd mentality. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, right. I would, I would love for atheists to be better than Christians at evaluating history. Christians have their own little pet view of who Jesus was, and there's a bunch of atheists who have their own little pet view of who Jesus was. And I would love for us to just be humble and accept better scholarship and not sort of stick with fringe ideas. Oh, look, I'm I'm humble. I'm the most humble. You, I don't think you understand how humble I am. <laughs> yes, Mr. I, I President. I believe it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, go and check out that YouTube debate by punching in Richard Carrier. Don't punch him in. Uh, just type in his name and Jonathan Tweet. So, Jonathan, a couple of other projects that you've had going on for some time now. Uh, yeah. One being Grandmother Fish is yeah. now taking the fight to Italy itself. Yeah, that's right. The home of the Pope and everything. So this is my children's book about evolution. And it has just it, here in October debuted uh, in Italy with an Italian uh, translation. And and honestly, it's funny to talk about the Pope or what have you, but the, but the Catholics have been remarkably accepting of evolution once, sort of once the science was in and it was clear that there's, there's no denying it, they got on board. And this book available at all good children's bookstores? It is. It's available from Macmillan. I originally self-published it back in 2015, but it sold out and Macmillan picked it up. And it's at least available on Kindle in Australia. And I I believe at some point there's going to be physical versions also going to be on the shelves there. Fantastic. Now, just on the Italian thing, with the little fish character in the book, how did they, when they translated it to Italian, how did they get the little fins to gesticulate? And <laughs> No. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, that's a, that. That would be like, uh, yeah, grandmother fish can gesticulate. Can you gesticulate? Yeah. That's a, that, that that that's a whole different uh, free translation of the Italian stereotype. The yep. Two yeah. early in the morning on a Saturday. <laughs> I'm still waking <laughs> up. That's three terrible jokes for three. I'm on fire. In terms of card games, you yeah. put together clades. Tell us what clades is about. Sure. So when I was doing research for Grandmother Fish and trying to really make sure I understood evolution, I came across this idea of what a clade is. And a clade is a complete branch of the evolutionary family tree. So like all mammals together are a clade and clades are nested within clades. So humans are a clade and humans are together with other apes in a clade and humans and apes are together with all the monkeys in a clade and we're together with all the animals in a clade and so forth. It's a super powerful idea that creationism sort of can't touch. Once you understand how clades work, it's so easy to understand how things evolved and how things are related and who has what kind of common ancestor. So it's a really exciting concept and I want to get it across to kids. So I came up with a card game where you match animals. All the cards have cute animals on them uh, by the same artist who did Grandmother Fish. And then one of the ways that you determine whether cards go together in a match is by determining what clades they're in. So there are arthropods, that's a whole clade. There are uh, sauropsids, so that's all reptiles and birds together form a clade. And then mammals are another clade. So those are the three big clades in the game. And we we raised so much money on Kickstarter that we were able to do not only the clades game, our original plan, but also clades prehistoric, 
So that's all prehistoric animals. That's, you know, dinosaurs and these giant sea scorpions that were some of the largest predators ever. And so that's really exciting. I love prehistoric animals and have since I was a kid. With good reason. And yeah. uh, <laughs> kids love dinosaurs. So yeah. where, where could people with kids wanting to uh, teach evolution through through this mechanism, where can we get a copy or a, what is it, a copy of a game? Where can you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where yeah. can you buy uh, this game? Atlas Games is our publisher at that is uh here in the united states and uh, they have been doing hobby games for 25 years more than that almost 30 maybe in the same place that you're going to be able to find you know the other hobby games that they do like gloom and murder of crows and and what have you um you'll also be able to find clades right now karen and i are turning over the image files to our printer in China, so it's not going to be available until you know early 2018 sometime, and then it will just be in the regular game channels. Very well. Do you have a, a centralized website where we can go and check all your work out? So that's right, uh, grandmotherfish.com. It's all about grandmother fish. It's got a whole page devoted to clades. It's got links to you know the great videos that we did for our Kickstarter and, and so forth. Fantastic. Very well. Well, Jonathan Tweet, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. Heard mentalists hit me. It's questionable, Adam, here, communicating to you in the past from Skepticon 2017 on the 19th of November in 2017 because it's Skepticon 2017. Now, from your perspective, it's only about a month away, but from my perspective, I can tell you it's not going as planned because <laughs> so far Eli's been arrested for indecent exposure, Tom lost to Cara Santa Maria in a fist fight, and Noah's trying to convince a preschooler that global warming's a hoax. I thought it'd be fun to hang out with the crew from Scathing Atheist and Cognitive Dissonance, yeah, man. as well as a bunch of awesome speakers that you can find at thinkinc.org.au slash skepticon-australia. But it's gone off the rails. Now, I'm about to record a live herd mentality here, so I've hit the social lubrication pretty hard to just take the edge off all the turmoil. But you can come and join us. It's not too late for you in the past to order your tickets and help us avoid this dystopian future by bringing your common sense. In this episode, the herd mentality is supporting Alba in Dominica Republic, Salome in Georgia, Zeruhi in Armenia, Marine in Armenia, Ines in Nicaragua and Vansa in Georgia. And all of this is done at Kiva.org to help women in developing countries to further their education. And all of that's made possible by supporting this podcast in the past at patreon.com slash herdmentality. And above all, I love you. I really, 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 really love you. Not in a Harvey Weinstein kind of way, though. Is it just me, or does anyone else find this pot plant attractive? Ladies and gentlemen, joining me from not too far from where I am right now, I've got Eran Segev. Welcome. Thank you, Adam. Oh, it's that time of the year again. Oh, it is. What's coming up? We've got something exciting. Yeah, so we have uh, Skepticon 2017. This year's National Skeptics Convention is branded. It's not usually. You can still hear the hissing from the branding. 
We've partnered with Think Inc., who are event organizers who generally organize events, not exactly of this kind, but uh, to this kind of audience. Mm. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Jane Goodall, and many others, thinkers, and uh, especially in the areas of science and, and critical thinking. So we've partnered with them. We're working on it together although they're doing much of the heavy lifting, and it's promising to be a fantastic convention. Yes, you mentioned some numbers to me off air for people who have signed up to come, and you mentioned uh, I, it's... I, I, I don't want to repeat them. No, 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 no. What no, I, what I can <laughs> say is that it will be very... It will be the biggest skeptics convention in Australia ever, and it will be probably the biggest skeptics convention anywhere in the world, apart from... Uh, from TAM, the amazing meeting in Vegas, which is now defunct, is not happening anymore. So we're very pleased with the way it's going. Yeah, cop that, rest of the world. Exactly. Now, Little Australia is doing it again. <laughs> We've got a fantastic lineup of speakers, and there's a there's a few who would be very well known to this audience. Absolutely. So look, uh, in, in no particular order, uh, because it's very difficult to order these uh, these great speakers. Okay, maybe I should actually start by the fact that the entire event is going to be emceed by Lawrence Lung, mm-hmm. great friend of the skeptics and a wonderful comedian. Dr. Carl will be there. Professor Alan Duffy, astronomer, Professor Alan Duffy will be there. Uh, we will also have Carl's partner in crime, Adam Spencer. But we will also have uh, international speakers that many people know. For example, Captain Disillusion will be there who breaks up on YouTube uh, various scams and and visual effects. (laughs) Uh, We will have uh, Dr. Vyam Sharma. We will have Cara Santa Maria. We will have Brit Hermes, who is a former naturopath who found out uh, through working as a homeopath that uh, it isn't what it's uh, supposed to be and that it's actual quackery and left the profession, which is a brave thing to do. Wow. We will have Catherine News, whose son Riley died of whooping cough a couple of years ago, and she and her husband Greg are operating through their charity Light for Riley to improve vaccination rates in, in the community. And we will also have two particular highlights, I think, for many people listening to this podcast. We mm-hmm. will have the Scathing Atheist podcast, and we will have the Cognitive Dissonance podcast. They will all, all both have their own spots. And mm-hmm. in addition, uh, there is a certain likelihood that we will have uh, some joint sessions because we will have a separate room in addition to the plenary session. We'll have a separate room for podcasts, and there's all kinds of interesting things that are planned to be in that podcast room so it's going to be great the term joint session sounds uh oof we could interpret that any one of a number of ways really but uh, (laughs) (laughs) cognitive dissonance and scathing atheist never heard of them um but i do wish them well (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly they don't wish you well no (laughs) (laughs) they'll Uh, swear at you yes i'm going to take noah uh away to shallow bushgrave territory in Australia and for a few days showing the, what it's really uh, like. What worries me about the, 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 uh, I'm I'm fine with that. I like <laughs> um, I like camping and all of that. It's just that the fact that you're taking them there before the convention is what worries me. Yeah, I mean, after the convention, you can do whatever you want, but. No, we'll, mm. we'll, we'll just pre-record something. Look, if he okay. does die no. horribly, uh, some sort then. of drop bear incident or um, okay. snake bite. Yeah, we'll yeah, just. If we have to look for him in the lantana, we would not be pleased. No. <laughs> And yes, yeah, so th- there's a chance that I might be recording a live podcast there as well. A chance? A chance. Wait, wait, you're not going to bail on us, are you? Oh, do you know more than I do? It's all locked in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll be doing a live herd mentality, and I'm thinking of doing some sort of sketch at the end, some sort of Raygate arrangement at the end live, which could end terribly. 
It's never been done before. We'll see what happens. I'm sure it'll be great. Mm, and there's a dinner on as well, I understand. Yes. This. So there's two sort of outside events. One of them is an informal welcome event on the Friday night, which will be at the Occidental Hotel, which is on York Street opposite Wynyard, Wynyard Station. That will be just informal, be some drinks and food and just a great socializing event ahead of the convention. We hope we'll to see everybody there. Well, probably not everyone. No. Because there's no room for everyone, but we hope to see a lot of people there. Definitely a lot of the... Uh, uh, the people who usually attend skeptics events. Then on the Saturday night, we have the the events, the, the regular gala dinner, which we always have on skeptics conventions. It's always a special event because this is where we announce the awards from the skeptics, the skeptic of the year, the Fred Thornet Award, uh, which is called the Thornet Award for the promotion of reason. We have, of course, the Ben Spoon Award, and we announce some other things. The Ben Spoon well. Award is a, a particular favorite of mine. What's the byline for that one? For the perpetrator of the most preposterous piece of paranormal or pseudoscientific piffle. It, um, it's such a so, great award. That, and there, there's always contenders. I would like to think that uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts will be up there. Um, uh, yeah, although, you know, the thing is with politicians, we've been discussing this, and politicians are easy pickings. You know, that there's always – politicians are just so egregious nowadays – because that's what they do to be in the news and, mm. and uh, because of the way the political system is that we're always going to be able to find one. In fact, there's never a shortage of candidates for the Ben Spoon Award. Mm. Uh, you know, we also, don't, uh, we also have to admit that we don't take it that seriously. We, you know, in the sense that nobody's ever collected the award. Uh, we don't, <laughs> we don't expect they would. We actually don't, uh, you know, we have just one award and we, we add the name to the base of the, of the award. You know, but it's an important award. It's important to recognize somebody who's done something that's particularly egregious. I'm actually more, the, the award that I like most is the Fred which which is the the, f the full name of the award is the Thornet Award for the Promotion of Reason. We call it the Fred because it's named after Fred Thornet. Hmm. That's an award that's given to a member of the public or somebody outside the skeptical movement who has done most in the past year to promote critical thinking and reason. Where can we go to find out more about this and snag a ticket, which is probably the more important thing because they are selling? So, so you can go through the Australian Skeptics website. You just go to skeptics.com.au slash convention, and that will lead you there. Alternatively, you can go to the Think Inc. website, which is thinkinc, one word, .org.au. Click on their events and find uh, Skeptic on Australia, or just go to thinkinc.org.au slash skepticon dash Australia. Skepticon is spelt with a K, guys. Naturally. The proper way to do it. Yes. This is going to be so much fun, Aaron. I cannot wait. Neither can I. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Bring us all up to speed. You're welcome, Adam. Looking forward to seeing you there. Cheers. Despised by religious fanatics and purveyors of other nonsense, he stands on the side of science and battles for truth, justice, and the rational way. The friend of fact and the foe of folly, he is the champion of reason. It was September 12th of 2016. The general election was just two months away. Hillary Clinton was heavily favored to defeat Donald Trump, but the Donald seemed to be having a great time with all of the attention he was getting. Thank you. 
Donald Trump was taking a bubble bath in his ornate bathtub on the 66th floor of his extravagant $100 million penthouse in Trump Tower. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, whether I find a place in this world or never belong, I've gotta be me, I've gotta be me. What else can I be but what I am? Like the rest of the three-story, 30,000-square-foot penthouse, the decor of the bathroom was designed in the royal style of 18th-century France, with an ancient Grecian flair. A Rococo crystal chandelier hung from the ceiling that had a huge painting of Apollo riding a chariot. Imposing gold gilt-framed mirrors reflected French furniture and Greek vases and sculptures, and tropical plants. Chest deep in luxurious bath bubbles, the Republican presidential nominee had his smartphone in its custom-designed titanium case within reach. And he was thinking about what to tweet next in his never-ending effort to steal the spotlight from his general election opponent, Hillary Clinton. The Donald had recently been closing the gap on Hillary, but only because her unfavorability rating the second highest of any nominee in almost half a century, was going higher and higher and was now almost as high as his. The first of three scheduled debates was in two weeks, and the Donald knew that he needed to deliver a great style-over-substance performance that would enable him to overtake Hillary in the polls, especially in the battleground states. He had just finished washing his long hair with Suds for Studs Stallion Shampoo, and he had his wet hair pushed back toward the back of his head so that it wouldn't hang down over his eyes and below his chin. He ran more hot water. And then reached for his gold-rimmed pewter goblet and took a drink of Diet Coke. I want to live, not merely survive, and I won't give up this dream of life that keeps me alive. I gotta be me. I gotta be. A blue towel suddenly hit him smack in the face. The champion of reason moved quickly across the marble floor and had the point of his sword at the Donald's throat before the towel fell from his face and into the bubbly bathwater. I wouldn't shout for help if I were you. With his hair now hanging down to his left shoulder, the Donald reached for his phone, but the champ deftly knocked it into the bubbly bathwater with his sword. The Donald tried to retrieve it. Leave it there. The champ said with the sword back at the Donald's throat. The Donald gulped. Do you know who I am? Yes. He pushed his hair back. How did you get in here? Scientifically. And it was relatively easy. You'll never make it out of here. That I can tell you. You're wrong. You're wrong about a lot of things. You're a buffoon. The champ grabbed a chair designed in the style of Louis the Fourteenth and brought it beside the bathtub. Ah, Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King. I call him Screwy Louie, and I call you Trump the Chump. What do you want? Lean forward and put your hands behind your back. What are you going to do? The champ took handcuffs out of his pocket. 
I'm going to prevent you from trying to do something that you would regret, he said, and then he handcuffed the Donald. The champ sat back down in the splendid chair. Hmm, I don't feel any more dignified. You know, Louis XIV was a very vain man who lived his life pretty much for flattery. That's the way it is with narcissists, like yourself. You're like a spoiled child, Donald, and yet you're 70 years old. You really should be ashamed of yourself. I'm Donald J. Trump. Yeah, and that J stands for jerk. Or maybe it's jackass. You're a real piece of work. How much do you want? You don't get it, do you? I'll write you a check. A fabulous check for a million dollars. It'll be incredible. I don't want your money. Too much of it came from screwing people over anyway. Like the 200 undocumented Polish immigrants who did the demolition for the construction of this tower. Believe me, Crooked Hillary is worse than me. That I can tell you. The lesser of two evils argument on both sides is really getting old. But that's what we're faced with. What a disgusting choice. Too bad the DNC rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders. We would now have a candidate who at least told the truth. Bernie's a communist. He's a lightweight. He's a loser. Are you really as stupid as you seem to be? The champ pulled out a pacifier attached to a head strap. He put the strap over the Donald's head and stuck the pacifier into his mouth. And then he tightened the strap so that the pacifier was firmly in the Donald's mouth. Breathe through your nose and you'll be fine. (laughs) The champ walked over to a north-facing window. Nice view of Central Park. Then he walked over to a big 2005 wedding photo of Donald and his 46-year-old wife, Melania. Do you think that she would have married you if you weren't rich? Oh, I forgot. You can't talk. Well, it was a rhetorical question anyway. The champ sat back down. Unfortunately, the bubbles have thinned out, and it is plain to see that unless your bathwater is ice cold, you're a little on the small side. Is that the source of your inferiority complex? It is, isn't it? But that shouldn't really matter, Donald. I mean, it really shouldn't. That's adolescent kind of thinking. What should really matter is the size of your heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? My guess is that I'm not going to be able to get to you. You just might be too far gone. But I want to at least give it a try. That's why I'm here. So, Donald, this is what I would like you to do. Get yourself into psychotherapy and work hard to overcome your narcissism and become a new and improved Donald Trump. Then tell the Trumpsters that you have finally matured enough to realize what a fool you have been and that they need to take stock of themselves and wise up as well. You can become a model, Donald, and I'm certainly not talking about the kind of model that your wife was. I'm talking about a role model. You might have to walk away from luxury, sort of like Siddhartha Gautama did, although you probably wouldn't have to take it to such extremes, since I can't quite picture you living an ascetic lifestyle. But you could use your fame and your fan base to be a spokesperson for the principle that being nice is more important than being rich, and that bigotry is for people who have their heads up their asses. There's certainly no shortage of bigots out there. And the last thing we need is for a demagogue like you to get them to come out of the woodwork and unite, and enable you to get enough electoral votes to win the election. 
I want you to join my cause and appeal to people's rational faculty rather than to their emotions and provide facts instead of foment fear for their own good as well as for the good of the country. The champ leaned over. Take a good look at my eyes. I don't always wear a mask, and I'm a master of disguises. I'm pretty good at voice impersonation, too. The champ winked at him. We'll meet again. The champ stood up and sheathed his sword and walked to the door, but he turned around. Oh, there's something else I would like you to do. The Donald raised his eyebrows as if to ask what it was. Take singing lessons. You need them. Au revoir. As soon as the champ was gone, the Donald frantically got himself to his feet and stepped out of the bathtub. The lights suddenly went out. One minute later, they came back on. Melania came into the room in a silk-white Grecian negligee fastened at the shoulder by a solid gold brooch. The lights went out everywhere, Melania exclaimed. And then she saw the Donald standing stark naked beside a bronze statue of Eros, with his hands cuffed behind his back and a pacifier in his mouth, and his hair now hanging down to his right shoulder. Oh my, you want to get even kinkier than usual tonight, don't you, darling? She removed the brooch and let the draped negligee fall to the floor. The Donald made it clear that this wasn't fun and games. Melania anxiously loosened the head strap and took the pacifier out of his mouth. Call security. Have every inch of this place searched. My nemesis was here. Get my robe and put it over me. Melania grabbed his robe, which bore the Trump coat of arms, and put it over his shoulders. Tie it in front. I will never change who I am. Never. Screw that scoundrel. He's a loser. Total disaster. I will never join his cause. Right then, just like clockwork, a video of the Champion of Reason's confrontation with Donald Trump in the bathtub went up on the 22-story tall Thomson Reuters sign in Times Square. Thousands of people watched it, and they saw the Donald step out of the tub and stand there stark naked, with his hands cuffed behind his back and the pacifier in his mouth. A woman yelled, Look at how small his wiener is! And then Anthony Weiner, who happened to be there, yelled, Ha! Trump the stump! Back at the penthouse, security scoured the place but found no sign of the champion of reason. All that was found, and it was in the lavish living room, was a champion of reason doll seated in the driver's seat of the miniature red convertible Mercedes-Benz that was the favorite toy of Donald and Melania's 10-year-old son, Baron. A bomb squad checked the miniature Champion of Reason but found no explosives in it. There was, however, a string with a ring attached to it under the doll's blue cape. And when the string was pulled, out came the voice of the Champion of Reason. Vanity is a vice. Humility is a virtue. <laughs>